Could we stand in honor of God's word? Proverbs chapter 5, uh, five through ni- or 15 through 19. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. The NLT simply says it this way. Why should you have sex with somebody else's wife? Verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Let's pray. Lord, please help me. And please help us. Lord, you, in redemption, this is a safe place. Your heart for us is good. You died for all of our sins and our brokenness. We don't have to be afraid of light going into dark places. Because when you reveal something dark, it is because you want to heal it. So I just pray, God, that this is going to be a kind of a, a, a message where it will be very easy to squirm. Help us, we pray. Look at you, look at ourselves, and, and deal with it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Having, making marriage work, having godly sex. This is part three of our Making Marriage Work series. We'll have them available as a series next week. So here's why I called it having godly sex. Because godly sex in most minds is an oxymoron. When we think of the destruction that has come through sex, the perversion, the uh, bankruptcy, the, the unfaithfulness, the betrayal, the, the shame, the guilt, the excesses, everything that, that has been done in the name of sex, we think of something certainly not that God would approve of, that God is pure, God is holy, God's almost like the opposite of, of, of sex. Sex is basically to have children and uh, the fact that, that people do it, God just kind of looks the other way while they do it because he understands this is how we get kids. Godly sex. So as a young husband, a few years ago, I was so filled with sexual desire and it was causing so much tension in my marriage and, um, and I just remember thinking many times, it, this would be so much easier if I was neutered. This would be so much, this would be so much easier if I didn't have to deal with this all the time. I, I, I want to please God and I am struggling all the time with these sexual desires. And then one day, I'm having my quiet time and I'm reading Proverbs 5 and I am like, May, may your fountain be blessed. And I was just like, oh my. One, God knows I have a fountain. <laughs> B, he wants it to be blessed. He does not want this to be a source of tension and anxiety and frustration. He wants it to be blessed. He wants 
Oh my, may her breath satisfy you. May you always be exhilarated with her love. What is that saying? God wants us to have in our marriages a hot sex life. And I'm like, I just started thinking about the whole thing differently. Guys, God is the author of pleasure. Did you know that God could have just made you eat food to survive? And you just have to kind of put it on your, your calendar. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to eat today so that I can have sustenance. God, does, he's the one that created taste buds. He made millions of taste buds. Why? Because he wanted you to enjoy your food. He wanted you to look forward to eating. He wanted that to be one more place where you gave glory to him. Because God, how good are you? that you would want our meals to be times of thanksgiving and worship, remembering, and you have given us these taste buds. Even though he knew we could abuse food. And God is the one that has made us sexual beings. He is the one that made all of the equipment that makes sex like dynamite. Dynamite, my oh my, dynamite can take a mountain and if you use dynamite right, it can make a a, a way through that mountain so you can make a train through there or a road through there and all of a sudden you can link two places that couldn't link before. Dynamite can do powerful things for good and that same dynamite can blow up a building or blow up a bridge and, and cause tremendous destruction. God made it it is very powerful, <clears throat> godly sex. So let's get to the beginning. It, 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 without this, without this foundation, you're not going to understand what, what this thing is all about. What, so here's point two. Why did God create sex? First, because of what it pictures. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I'm speaking about Christ and the church. The marriage relationship is God's picture on earth of salvation. Intimacy is this lifelong commitment of leaving parents to join, to make this lifelong commitment. What is that the picture? What is that picturing? It is picturing Jesus leaving the Father's home in heaven. Leaving all of the safety and comfort of that place, coming down to this earth, taking on flesh, dying a horrible death on a cross, all so that he could propose to me and you. That he could say, I want, I commit myself to be, being eternally yours. I am inviting you, I'm proposing to you to enter into this divine marriage. The Bible starts with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. One is the picture. The other is the, the eternal, bigger truth that all marriages are pointing to. Leaving and cleaving, that's intimacy. And the two shall become one flesh. That is sex. That's the celebration of intimacy. See, God because of what marriage is picturing. Marriage is picturing not just our commitment to God that we will stay with him no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, and and that we're going to, but he wanted in that picture spiritual pleasure, that we would know the joy 
of his presence, that we would know the joy of his gentle touch, his gentle word, that we would actually experience him in his presence is fullness of joy, that we would know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Those spiritual experiences are not the commitment, but they strengthen the commitment. So he put within salvation secret joy that only you and him know about. No one else can share it. It's you and him. Because he didn't want to just be our duty. He wanted to be our delight. He didn't want to just be our have to. He wanted to be our want to. And so he put this secret delight in salvation, which is given by the Holy Spirit's closeness and presence. Never, never mistake intimacy and the celebration of intimacy. Your relationship with God has got to be stronger than you having to have spiritual, the next spiritual experience, or you'll be just like this. It, it is based on you have made a commitment to him, whether hell or high water, I am his. Whether I'm in the mood or feel like it or not, I am committed to him. And thank God he's committed to us in the same way. Uh, and that's, that's the safety of salvation. Number two. Why did God create sex? Because he knew how hard marriage was going to be. He knew to put, he foresaw the fall, even before he made it, he foresaw the fall to put two people that are broken and sinful together and have them make a lifelong commitment to one another. That's going to be hard. That, that's going to be that's going to be really hard. Whenever I do a, 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 or oftentimes when I do a wedding sermon, I tell about the the bumper sticker that says, um, "Life is the school, love is the lesson," which I just think is is cool. But I say this: if life is the school, marriage is the laboratory within that school where God gets two people by their free will to lock themselves in until they learn how to love. Because if you can really, really love, actually really love one person, then you can love anybody. And so God, God's made this little laboratory of love. He foresaw there's going to be sparks. It's going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. And so he said, you know what? We're going to put a secret pleasure inside of marriage a secret delight only to be celebrated within the confines of marriage so that it can be renewed so that it can be strengthened so that marriage would not just be our duty and our spouses our duty but they would be our delight he wanted this secret delight in marriage So he made sex, even knowing all of the trouble that it would cause. Okay, so let's get to point three. Godly sex is only in marriage. Song of Songs 2.7 says this, don't awaken love before it's time. Don't awaken desire before it's time. It is written in the context of this young couple. There's a whole whole book on this called the Song of Songs. It's in the tradition of Solomon. Some have thought it was Solomon that wrote it, but it's really not about Solomon is not the best example of a monogamous relationship. (laughs) It's about this young maiden that is engaged to a shepherd and it, it, love has started to arise. And it's a number of love poems that are very graphic and metaphorical, but it's all about the pleasure of married love. 
But in the midst of her engagement, she turns to the handmaidens around her, to the other young ladies, and she says, be careful. Don't awaken love's desire before it's time. It's time is in the context of a life, the lifelong commitment of marriage. So I think we're beginning to understand the problem. <laughs> Everything our, in our culture awakens the desire prematurely. Everything awakens it, all of the messages, all of the images, everything in advertising, everything in everything is awakening desire before it's time. And it's caused tremendous pain. We need to talk for just a moment about the deception of the enemy. Turns out, the enemy knows us, and he knows this is the greatest vulnerability of mankind. This is, this is not just your greatest vulnerability. This is the greatest vulnerability of all of mankind. If you don't think so, think about this. The wisest man in the Bible, the strongest man in the Bible, and the most spiritual man in the Bible all fell into immorality. The wisest was Solomon. The strongest was Samson. The most spiritual, obviously other than Jesus, the Old Testament archetype of the man after God's heart is David. All fell in this area. It is a very vulnerable area. We have an enemy that's trying to destroy our lives. Balak uh, was the the king of Midian, and I don't even remember if it was Midian. He's he's this king. He's trying to curse the people of God, and he hires Balaam, a a prophet for hire, to come. Balaam wants the money, so Balaam uh, uses his prophetic gift to try to curse the people of God, but everywhere he goes, he can't curse them. He can only bless them because the blessing of God is on his people, and they are sovereignly protected. It's very frustrating for Balaam. He gets very, very angry at Balaam, and finally Balaam says, listen, there's no way I'm going to curse him, but uh, there is another way in. Don't send, don't send an army in. Don't send somebody, a witch in to curse it. Send, the, send sensuality in. Send women in that will seduce the men. Then, you don't need, there, there doesn't need to be a curse. It will set God against his own people. And that was the strategy that undermined Israel in the desert. In the early church, We have two churches, Pergamum and Thyatira. The exact same thing is happening. The first one, it's, Jesus literally says to the church at Pergamum, um, the teaching of Balaam is in your church and you guys are setting up your people for judgment. He said, right now, I'm, I'm waiting. I have a sword in my hand. I will bring judgment, but I'm waiting. I want there to be repentance. I don't want to send judgment. I never, he never wants to send judgment on his people. He wants his people to repent because they love him, because they want to please him. And he wants them, us to come to our senses, to own it, to repent of it, without him having to bring any judgment. The same thing happens in the next church at Thyatira. They've got the teaching. They've got a prophetess now. So it's real spiritual. It's all justified because God told me. And she is teaching that immorality is okay. And I've, I've brought judgment to her to try to get her to repent. And I'm about to bring her children. Her children are all those that are she's affecting. Because how many know that this message of immorality, this message of justification, it spreads like leaven. It is spread all the way through our culture. And here's Jesus saying, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting them to repent. They've, they've, they've bit on this thing. They've been under her teaching and I don't want to bring judgment, but judgment will come if they don't repent. Do not be deceived by this. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. 
It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This is Paul speaking to the church, speaking to Christians. Don't justify this. Don't give in to this deception. Don't rationalize this. You will have God against you as a Christian. Don't do this. The same God who gave you the Holy Spirit, who loves you, who died for you, who blesses you, he will, you will set him against you. Don't be deceived by this. This is not man. This is not man giving his own opinion. This is actually right from the throne of God. The reason why it's so easily easy to be deceived in this area is because uh, this is the most vulnerable area, and the whole world is telling us something else. Not a big deal, not a big deal, not a big deal. Sometimes God's patience with us leads to the deception. Remember the story of Samson? (laughs) Did you know that Samson is a sexual addict? Have you ever thought of that? Why he keeps going back to Delilah and he knows Delilah is wanting to turn him over to the Philistines to either imprison or kill him. He knows there's nothing good in this relationship. This relationship is very, very dangerous. But he keeps going back. His hormones keep taking him back to this relationship. He is addicted to it. But here's, here's how the deception gets in. I'm doing this and nothing bad's happening to me. I'm still anointed. I still sing on the worship team. I still teach Sunday school. I'm, I, apparently, I'm above the rules. Because I, I'm, I'm doing two things at once. No, no, no. Never mistake God's patience for God's approval. Just because God is patient with you, just because he doesn't want to bring, to bring things in that are judgment, he doesn't want, he, that's not his preferred way. Don't be like the horse and the mule that need bit and bridle. I want to just, by my eye being upon you, I understand your weakness. I understand the devil. I understand the culture. Come on, come on back to me. Own it, call it what it is, and break this thing. Or... Because I love you so much, I will break that addiction for you. Did you know that God broke Samson's sexual addiction? Did you know that Samson made it into the hall of faith? He is right there in Hebrews 11, right next to everybody else. Do you know how he broke it? Uh, Samson had to be turned over to the enemy. He had his eyes put out, and then he was put in prison where his job was to grind at the mill, which meant he was, his whole day was around in a little circle grinding with his eyes cut out. But he made it. Friends, God doesn't want you to have to lose everything to break your sexual addiction. He, do, he doesn't want to go. He, he, he'll go however far he has to, but that's not his preferred way. He wants us to be sexually pure. Or if we are already impure, we've already blown it, we're already a mess, he wants us to become again sexually pure. And he's made a way to do it. So here we go. Sexual pure. How do you walk in sexual purity? And I I think I've got four points. Have you noticed how I put points within points? I sneak them in there. All right, here we go. Number one. Number one, flee immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. <clears throat> so I want to tell you a little of my story because it, it correlates with a lot of people's stories. It, frankly, it doesn't with a lot of other people's, but I'll just tell you, it's my story. As a teenager, I never got into pornography, and I'm going to tell you why. Was, there was nothing holy about why I didn't get into it. 
My friends were all into it, and they wanted me to be in it. But to me, looking at porn was, was like looking at a steak that you couldn't eat. It was like, why, why would I want to look at all of these pictures when I can't partake of any of it? There was nothing holy about it, but that's, that's how I was spared from pornography. So I know that a lot of the church, a lot of the world is all caught up in pornography, and I didn't, I didn't get into it early, but it wasn't for any religious reason. It was just, I, I, it just didn't make sense to me. However, it doesn't mean I didn't deal with sexual fantasy. I had a very lively mind and very lively desire and I, ha- I was spending a lot of time in sexual fantasy in my mind. And then I became a Christian. <laughs> this, is, this is how little I knew. I didn't know it was wrong. Thank you, Lisa. I didn't know I'm a Christian. I'm going to Bible study, and my day is spent in sexual fantasy. I don't know that this is even wrong. I, and then as you get closer to God and you read the Bible more, and I'm like, oh, my, this is bad. This is bad. This is, and I'm feeding this thing by the music that I'm listening to and other things. And, and so I uh, made it a point to get free from this thing. And, of course, when you try to get free, you find out how, how strong its hold is. And turned out there was one specific young woman that I would say I had some type of a, a soul tie to because it was her and it was, it was, it was just hard. And, and so I, but I'm getting free. I want to please God. I'm trying to get free. And so I read in Proverbs um, don't look into her eyes. And so whenever I was with her or in her company, I'd make sure I didn't look into her eyes. But I was still, I would still like, she lived in our hometown, I would, I would drive past her house. And uh, you didn't know your pastor was a former stalker, did you? Um, <laughs> and then one day, one day I'm reading a Proverbs and it says this. Don't look into her eyes and don't even go near her house. Oh. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is in the Bible. Listen, listen, this, here's God's plan. Your, God's plan is not for you to get close to sexual temptation and be strong. His plan is for you to flee. His plan is, don't see how much you can take, how much, how close you can get. Flee, flee sexual immorality. Sex is for your spouse or your future spouse. Don't awaken it early. Flee it. Everybody's got different lines and different boundaries. If you can't look at a magazine, then don't look at a magazine. Flee it. Flee it. Number two, set boundaries. First Timothy chapter five, one and two. Treat the younger men, you men treat the younger women with as sisters with absolute purity. Now, the reason why the commands in the New Testament are almost all to men is because In that age, a daughter's sexual purity was so highly valued by the father that he protected it. He protected it by either secluding his daughter or by whenever she went out, she would go out with an escort and they usually married their daughters off at like 14. So... Don't, don't imagine that it was that hard and how did these young women stay pure? Well, it, it wasn't that hard in that culture. But we live in a different culture today, don't we? This is not just men's problem anymore. This is women's problem too. If, if Paul was writing this today, he would say it both ways. He would say, women, treat the, the, the men as brothers with 
absolute purity. Because it's everybody's problem today. Our, our culture has awakened this thing and it's going and it's ravaging everywhere. How do you set boundaries? First, why we set boundaries. Because if this person that you are attracted to is not your future wife or your future husband, that means there's somebody else's future wife or husband. That means you need to be very, very sober. This is a brother and a sister in Christ you are attracted to. And if you are dating, you need to recognize this might not go to marriage. You don't know if it's going to go to marriage. Don't jump to conclusions. So you need to set boundaries. You need to set them when you're not in the heat of passion. You need to make those godly boundaries for yourself. It actually brings freedom to the relationship, not bondage. I've got some friends that have eight children and they built this fence. Their, 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 their house is up here and it goes right down the, it goes down the hill to this busy street. And so they built a fence that goes all the way down to the street. Why did they build that f- fence? Is it, to, is, it, is it to restrict the kids? No, it's to free the kids. Now they can play in the yard. They couldn't play in the yard before because they were always afraid they'd go into the street and get hit by a car. So they built the fence for freedom. Build boundaries, build convictions. And if the person you're with will not honor those boundaries, then you need to recognize what they're saying. They're saying you're not worth, you're not worth it. I want, I want what I want and you are not worth it. Break up with that bum in Jesus' name. How do I stay sexually pure or become sexually pure? <clears throat> Burn for Jesus. Now here is the ironic thing. When you're sexually impure, when you're caught in a sin, when you're caught in an addiction, you feel shame and that shame makes you want to hide from the very one that you need. And you need to understand God's heart and you need to understand what redemption is. Your sexual struggle, your sexual failure has not changed God's mind about you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He died for you. He doesn't want you to live constantly hiding in shame. He wants you to bring it. He knows it all anyway. He wants you to bring it all to him. Bring all the dirt. Bring all the stuff behind the dirt. Bring all the shame. Bring all the failure. And just pour it out at his feet. Because he's made a way. Here's the first thing he's done for us to make us sexual pure. He's given us his blood to give us a new start. You get a fresh start. Today, you get a fresh start. You get to be clean. You get to be forgiven. You get to be washed absolutely clean so that you don't have to carry your past around with you. And the second thing he did is he's given you, by grace, an identity of purity. Come again? Listen. Purity, if you are born again today, it's already in you. It is part of your new clothing in, the, the, in your redemption. You just need to put it on. It is his purity. It is in you. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm not pure. I'm a pervert. I've done this, 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 and this. Listen to me. I, I'm not saying you didn't do all that, but that's just a bad version of yourself. There's a better version of yourself. It's, it's like you, you've got two, two, two cl- outfits in your closet. One is your sweatsuit and one is a, is a suit. They're both yours. It's just a matter of which one you've been wearing mostly. And oftentimes, especially with men, and I, I know it's increasingly women, instead of fleeing from immorality, we flee to it. We flee to it when we're hurt, when we're tired, when we're rejected, when we're 
frustrated, we flee to it. And so we got into a trap of putting on the wrong outfit all the time. It's the worst version of yourself. And Jesus says, I, I, die, I, want, I, want to, I want to wash you and cleanse you from every time you put on the wrong outfit. There's another outfit in the closet I died for. I paid for these clothes. They were very expensive. They cost me my blood. And that is purity. It is yours. You, you don't have to become pure. You are pure in me. Put it on. Put it on by grace. Put it on every day. Put it on. Well, but Pastor Tom, how would I ever break this thing? It's just like, it's just like clothes. Once you break in new clothes, you get comfortable in them. Eventually, those are the ones that are comfortable. Eventually, those will be the ones that you automatically go to. When you're frustrated or tired or, or it's just, this is your go-to. It's called having our minds transformed, renewed, tran- by the, transformed. That means from the inside out. This is already in us. It's in the new nature. We just need to start putting it on. And if today you are here and you are a mess in this area, you're going to be a trophy of God's grace. Take your new beginning and let's start putting on the new outfit called purity. It is empowered by divine grace in Jesus' mighty name. Number four. Fourth way. Find a friend. Find friends who want to win with you. James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. (laughs) This verse has just come alive to me lately. Okay, first, let's talk. Where are we? Oh, healed. This is not physical healing. Physical healing is dealt with the two verses before that. For physical healing, if you're sick, you, you come and ask the elders to pray for you. They anoint with you with oil and they pray the prayer of faith and you are healed physically. What is this healing? Look at it. Confess your sins to one another so that you can pray for one another that you might be healed. Notice, not forgiven, healed. What does that mean? It means this. Well, for one thing, the way we get forgiven is by God. We confess our sins to God. God's, these people are already forgiven. The reason why you confess to people and they pray for you is so that God's anointing can start healing you, healing the brokenness inside of you that has led to the sin so that you're not stuck in a cycle where it's just sin, confess, sin, confess. This is a lot of people's Christianity. Guys, you can't repent for brokenness. You have to be healed of brokenness. Brokenness is not sin. It's brokenness. And in our culture, it comes from a number of ways, including our parents. Four generations visit, and you are broken, broken, broken. And so you end up sinning, feeling bad. You confess it to God. But if the brokenness isn't dealt with, you're just going to stay in that cycle, and your Christianity is going to be one of failure. You still make it to heaven, praise God. But it's just going to feel like I just sin and confess, sin and confess, sin and confess, and there's no victory in that. Jesus is anointed to bind up the brokenhearted so that you're confessing less and less and less. Why? Because you're more and more healed. We need each other to pray for each other that God will release that healing anointing. All right. Okay, let's get to the R-rated section. Number four, last point. Godly sex requires mutual enjoyment. (laughs) If you think of sex as your need being met and you having pleasure, and this is your right in marriage, you're going to approach sex to get what you want out of it. And it's going to cause resentment in your spouse. (laughs) When you come to sex within marriage, and you're thinking of their need, and how you can bring them pleasure This is called godly sex. Now, here's the secret. 
that's the most enjoyable sex is when both want to have it. Both are excited about it. Point two, naked and without shame. Genesis 2.25 is how we were created. This is before the fall. This is so much more important after the fall. Redemptive sex. You are the only one that can make your partner feel like they can be naked and unashamed. If you make sex shameful, if you shame them for how they look, if you compare them to others, if you bring damage in from the past, you are going to make it very unsafe sex. And guess what? They're not going to want to have it that often. Naked without shame. Men, women, we are so insecure, especially sexually, especially when we're naked. Why wouldn't we be? All the images are, here's the perfect girl, here's the perfect guy, and none of us look like that. And so there's, we're already extremely insecure. My oh my, when the clothes are off, you need to support and encourage and say every good thing and safe thing and affirming thing that you can. God's plan is nakedness without any shame, even though I'm broken. That's how redemption is. They had no shame because there, there was no sin. Now we're broken. And God wants us to be able to be naked without any shame. But we are in our spouse's hands for that. Make it secure. You want to have good sex? Okay, make it secure for your spouse. Make them feel desirable. Also with the shame thing, listen, the best sex is when you treat it like it's God's gift and it's pure and it's holy. Don't make sex dirty. Don't bring dirtiness as if it's going to be more exciting if it's dirty and we watch this video first and we drink alcohol first and we make it, make it something that it's not. That's not the best sex. Keep shame out of it and celebrate it as God's gift. That's the best sex. Okay, now I've got a few words for men. Then I've got some advice to women and we'll get through this, won't we? Okay. Men, you can exercise self-control. Don't wear her out. If, if, she, if she feels like she has to be available 24-7 to you, what do you know? She's not going to want to have it. It, it. it feels like all you want is what you want. Exercise self-control. Use the no muscle. When she says no, she is not saying never. She's saying not now. Be patient. Exercise self-control. Take authority in Jesus' name out of all that is raging. Please don't hear rejection. Second, be clean, be romantic, ask her about her feelings, help around the house, create an environment where it is conducive. Give us something to celebrate, men. There has to be something to celebrate. If you want to have occasional sex, then do all those things once in a while. If you want to have a good sex life, then do it all the time. Build these habits into your, into just who you are and how you relate to your spouse. Let's talk to the, let's talk to the women. Women. One, if you say, not now, then give your husband a time when you will. Men easily feel rejection. You don't want them to take care of business themselves. You don't want them to find another place to, to, you, you are what God's given them. So you bear that responsibility. Every time can't be perfect. It can't be perfectly romantic. 
Why? Because one person's desire is stronger than another. And I'm not, I don't mean to prejudice men versus women because sometimes it's the other way around, but this is how it usually is. Because somebody's desire is more, somebody's going to need it more frequent than you do. So you think about their need and their pleasure just like they're supposed to think about yours. And one is going to have to have it more often than they want. And the other is going to have to have it less often than they want. Everybody loses. (laughs) It's part of marriage. It's part of marriage. It's part of being together. In another way, both win. Praise God. Women, don't use sex to get your way in something else. Don't use it as a bargaining tool. Don't dangle it over the man. I'll give you this if you'll do that. That's just wrong. It it brings, once again, shame into sex. Talk about what you like and don't like. Women, listen. Here's Here's your husband's goal. You think your husband's goal is to have sex with you. No. His goal, his real goal, is to have enjoyable sex with you. The best sex is when you want to do it too. So talk to him. Tell him what you don't like. Tell him what makes you feel unsafe. Tell, talk about it. Both of you, read books for crying out loud. There's some good books. The Act of Marriage by Tim LaHaye. Intended for pleasure. For whatever reason, I can't remember. These are Christian books about sex and about the pleasure in sex and about how the body works and how, how we warm up. Guys, it, it, this is it's just crazy about sex because anything else, we know that you're not going to be good at something right away. Basketball, you're not going to just all of a sudden be amazing at basketball. You've got to practice. You practice, you practice. But people think sex should be amazing right away and we should know everything. No, you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn, you're going to have to read, and you're going to have to practice, and, and it's fun practicing. Okay. And then here's, the, here's my final thing, and then the, our awkwardness will be over. <clears throat> Keep God in the middle of your marriage and in the middle of your life. Cheer for your spouse. The closer your spouse gets to God, the better spouse they're going to be to you. I understand that sometimes spouses hide in something called religion. That is different. <laughs> they're hiding from their husband in religion. Listen, if, you, if, if, if they get to God, God won't let them hide. <laughs> God will make them deal with their issues. God will, God will make them a better spouse. So cheer for one another. As we, here's God's plan. As we grow closer to him, look at this. We get closer to one another. We get happier in God and we get closer to one another. When we try to get something from each other, we actually end up farther apart. We, we need to pursue God together. All right, let's, Stand to our feet if we could. I'm not going to have anybody say I'm this or I'm that or I'm... Here's what Nick said yesterday at the sexuality conference. He said, you drop a hundred wine glasses on on cement, how many of them are going to break? All 100. Isn't that right? But guess what? Every one of them is going to break in a different way. Now, they won't, now one of them will be broken identically. So here's the reality of our sexuality. We're all broken. We just, we're all broken in different ways. We all need God's healing and we all need God's help. So if your spouse is here, grab their hand. If not, I'd just like you to open up your arms like this. I just want to pray for all of us. Notice I'm included in this. Lord, uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, that you speak truth to us even if we're on the wrong side of that truth and you don't use that truth to beat us up. You you expose us. You show us where we're wrong so that you can forgive us and pour that healing anointing in that starts to heal what is broken inside of us. Lord, a marriage is under attack men are under attack, women are under attack, and frankly it really feels just to be honest, it feels like the enemy is winning in this country 
we're asking for a revival, an awakening. And Lord, it certainly will start with your own people getting right with you. Not just in the easy areas it is to be right, but in this most difficult area. So God, would you forgive us for pornography? Would you forgive us, God, for fantasy? God, would you forgive us for shaming our spouses? Would you shame us, forgive us, Lord, where we've made sex dirty in our marriage to make it more exciting? God, please forgive us. Please wash us. When we have believed the lie that the enemy can make sex more pleasurable than God can when you're the one that created it. And Lord, of course, there's many marriages that stop, have stopped having sex and they're just roommates and there's just duty and no celebration and Lord, I get it. I get brokenness. I get past abuse. I get we're, we're all broken in so many ways. Lord, would you heal our marriages? Could those who have said, nope, I can't ever do it again, could they, could they reconsider in light of who you are and how, what a great healer you are? Lord, there are many, many men that live in rejection and have, have solved the problem themselves. And it's, it's all hidden and it's all secret and it's all dark and Lord, we just want to let you into our darkness today and say, come on out. It's okay. I understand. I've I've made this stuff. I see what's going on. I see the hidden shame. I see the, the privacy that you've tried to put around yourself. And I have been patient with you. I don't want you to be destroyed. I don't want your marriage to be destroyed. I don't want your finances to be destroyed. I don't want your life to be destroyed just so you can be sexually free. I want you to repent. I want you to bring your brokenness to me and to your brothers and sisters and let me heal you. And let's get this thing on a new path. And here's God's promise. No matter how deep the darkness is and how long you've been there, Jesus is going to come. It says it on our sign, guys. Come as you are. You get to come just as you are. And he will come to you right where you are. And he'll take your hand right there. And he will walk you out of it. And if you fall down seven times, you get back up. You get back up. And Jesus is there. He is cheering for you. He is cheering for us. Lord, the enemy has come in like a flood. Would you raise up a standard? against him a standard of purity a standard of faithfulness to our spouses future or present and father in jesus name i pray god that you would do it corporately that we would live as a holy body of christ but also individually that we would be thermostats in this culture instead of thermometers that we would set a new culture of purity and of beauty and of the goodness of God in our culture. We love you and we thank you and we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. We will have ministry teams at the front. Have a great day.